Good morning, Mercy Road. How you doing this morning? Uh, you look good. Hey, we're glad that you're here. Will you put your hands together? Welcome those who are attending live online right now. We can't wait to see you connect with God. Share this service live. You never know the life you may impact by simply sharing this service all over the globe. Hey, if you're new with us, we want to welcome you. We say it every week. We want to be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. So wherever you're at spiritually, thank you for joining us. And I just want to give you a heads up this morning that uh, I want to talk especially to those of you who are attempting to follow Jesus in your life. So if you're here and you're an atheist or agnostic, we want you to know we started this church for you. You're going to see the love of God in this place, and we can't wait to get to know you. We have no expectations for you. But if you're here this morning and you have ever struggled following Jesus, you don't have to raise your hand, but will you just agree somehow? I don't know if we have anybody in here. Okay, you could raise your hand. That would have made it simpler. I don't know why I made it harder on you. Man, I have just been uh, uh, looking at my own life this past week and getting excited for the opportunity to share because I realize how important what we're about to discuss is in our walk with Jesus. Uh, We're starting a new teaching series this morning. It's two weeks long, so I don't know if that's a series or a mini-series or a two-part sermon, but it's happening. It's called Time Out. Uh, NBA playoffs are going on. LeBron and the Lakers not doing so well, are they? Anyone disappointed? They, they might, no, we got a no down here. True Pacers fan. Uh, you know, when, when things aren't going well, sometimes you need to take a timeout, restore and relook at what's happening and say, hey, how could things get better? You know, I find in my own life, uh, the older I get, the busier I get. The more distractions I have that come into my life between trying to take care of children and raise you know, healthy young adults to turn them into people who know Jesus and love him, trying to care for my own soul in the process, trying to do work and other things that every human being eventually in life has to face, a lot of different difficulties, hardships, and distractions. You would agree? And as we head into the summertime and we've got graduations happening, anything else, anybody a little bit busy and you're like, I need some restoration this summer. This sermon is for you this morning. Over these two weeks, we want to pause, take a little bit of a time out and say, how could we change the direction we're going? You know, they say small changes in the direction can make a huge impact. If, if you're going from Los Angeles to New York on an airplane and you're off by just a couple of degrees, you could end up in an entirely different place. In fact, I find, I don't know if you do this, I get so busy and I find myself even sometimes thinking, oh, I'm not the healthiest, whether it's physically, emotionally, spiritually. And I think there's a little bit of dysfunction there. I should probably address that. I'm going to get around to it someday. And, you know, one of the easiest things to predict where you're going is looking at what you're doing right now. Because if you don't make some course corrections, you're probably going to end up where you're already headed. In fact, I was thinking about this. uh, There's this movie. I don't know if anybody has ever seen this movie. It's an Adam Sandler movie uh, called Click. Anybody ever heard of that movie? And it's about, he gets this universal remote control. That is a fantastic photo. A universal remote control where he can fast forward his life. 
And he fast forwards his life and a lot of the dysfunction he had when he was younger with his kids led to huge problems for him and his family later in life. And I find that this morning, what we want to do is to say, hey, we need to stop just going through life in an unhealthy way, take a timeout, pause, and address some of the things spiritually going on in our lives. Can we do that together? All right, turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. You know, as you're turning there, uh, I was reminded of a, a leadership guy named Stephen uh, Covey, who actually said that if you're the, one of the biggest mistakes in our lives is not just doing good things. Uh, you could be doing good things, climbing the ladder of life, only to get to the top of the ladder and realize you climbed to the wrong place. And our goal this morning is to look at the life of Jesus and say, how could we not have this great tragedy to actually win at the wrong thing in life, but to do things the way that he desires us to do? Are you ready to study God's word together, church? Come on. We're going to get into Jesus' life this morning, and what I don't know if you find this, but often when I look at the life of Jesus, I go, I thought I was a Christian, but I'm not actually following Jesus and living the life the way that he lived his life. Look at uh, chapter 1, verse 9 in uh, the Gospel of Mark. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, in the Gospel of Mark, it's the earliest gospel that we have. It's thought to be Peter's account that was given to John Mark, who wrote this down, and he's describing to them the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. And it starts with John the Baptist here, who's wearing camel skin, he's eating honey and locusts, he's living out in the wilderness, and he's about to baptize Jesus. Now, we're going to baptize some more people uh, this morning at our 1130 service, in fact, I believe we have five people from our Hispanic service. I'll be talking about that later, getting baptized this morning. How cool is that? Yeah, come on. And you're like, I didn't even know we had a Hispanic service. I'm going to talk more about that here in a little bit. But he's paving the way for Jesus' ministry. John the Baptist is here. And in this moment, he's about to baptize Jesus, and everything is about to change. It will be the beginning of Jesus' three-year ministry to travel around telling people about the coming kingdom of God, to repent and believe the good news. And it all starts in this moment. And what happens immediately after the baptism of Jesus will be the temptation of the devil in Jesus' life. Look with me, follow along. It says, just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, look at this, this is going to freak you out. You're going to be like, what's going on here for a second? He saw heaven being torn open. And if that wasn't weird enough, and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. I want you to picture you at that first baptism. I don't know what heaven being torn wide open looks like, but it happened apparently. And then the Spirit of God descending on Jesus like a dove. And then it gets even crazier. Look what happens next. And a voice came from heaven. Oh, now I'm really freaked out. And it says, you are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Now, there's a, a whole sermon on identity that we won't do this morning, that before Jesus is going to face the temptations of the devil, he's going to first find his identity in being the son of the living God. And as followers of Jesus today, we get to share in the sonship that we get to call him Abba, Daddy, Father, that you can have an actual relationship with your heavenly father because of the work of Jesus. 
But what I want to focus on this morning is not just the identity that we, we find in Christ, but what he actually did here in this passage, I think we get a little bit askew off sometimes. Let me show you what I mean. It goes on, it says, at once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. That's weird, isn't it? So <laughs> it wasn't the devil that took, tempted Jesus to go to the wilderness and he ended up there in the desert. It was actually the Spirit of the Lord that sent him there. Why? see, he gets up in, in verse 13, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. So he's in the middle of the desert. He's out there with all the animals, just living it up, apparently. And the devil shows up and is going to begin to tempt him in three particular ways. He's going to tempt him with bread, his appetite. Sometimes the devil tempts you today with your appetite, whether it's you know, lustful appetite, whether it's food, whether it's, you know, gluttonous behavior, whether it's uh, power in your life, whatever that you just want to take in. The second temptation, all the kingdoms of the world would be his, that there's ambition, that like you will finally be great. Your name will become eternal, everything you've ever desired. And then he tempts him to be saved by the angels in the temple courtyard. You'll be approved. Everybody's going to love you in the temple courtyard where all of the Jewish community would be. It was the center of their civilization. Everybody's going to see that you are the son of God and they're going to worship you. You're finally going to get the approval that you're longing for. The same temptations, if you look in our culture today, each of us are often tempted by, by the devil. And in this passage, if you looked in the Gospel of Luke, it goes into greater detail on those three temptations. But what I want to focus on is what happened first with Jesus. The Spirit led him into the wilderness. And here's how this story usually goes, right? Like we think in our minds somehow that this was like some uh, drag-out duel between Jesus and the devil, that he had gone out into the wilderness for 40 days and suffered in this like cage match with the devil where he's going to come out victorious so that he could show everybody how great he was. Or theologically speaking, you might say that, that he, what is being demonstrated here is that Jesus is the second Adam, is what the Apostle Paul says, that that instead of like in the Garden of Eden where the original temptation happened to Adam and he failed and he gave into the devil's longings, this anti-Eden out in the desert, not in paradise, but in the wilderness, that he's going to actually resist the temptations of the devil and fulfill this great role that he is called to as the Messiah. All of that is true. However, I want to take it a step further. Why do we assume that Jesus didn't want to be out there in the first place. I don't know about you, but uh, I, I, if you ask me to not eat for 40 days and to go out into the wilderness and then the devil showed up and tempted me with carbs, come on now. Like, I, just, well, I don't know what it is for you, but like, Maybe like if they put like a pizza out there and you haven't eaten in 40 days or I, uh, this is a weird bread longing, but this, we don't have these in Indiana. Has anybody ever heard of Lambert's Cafe, home of the throwed rolls? Man, if, if all of a sudden Lambert's Cafe and they're like throwing rolls at me out there and the devil showed up and used that to tempt me, do you know what I would be doing? Stuff in my face, right? Like 
And yet the reality is that we would never want to go through those temptations, be out there without food, be fasting for that long and be going, okay, God, where are you? And yet Jesus had a habit of not just here, not just at that moment in that moment of temptation, this unplanned wilderness experience. He often planned to go to the wilderness. In fact, Luke uh, chapter five, verse 16 which happens slightly after this temptation, uh, the writer records, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. It was part of his habits to get outside the towns and the cities into the wilderness or desert in the ancient Near East where he could commune with God without his heavenly father without distraction. And I find that that habit is actually what enabled him to face the devil and not give in to the temptation, and that for many of us this morning, we have lost the habit of escaping into our spiritual wilderness to encounter Jesus. What I want to talk about this morning is very simple, that some of us in this space, we've known about God for a while, but when they said earlier about maybe restoring that relationship with the Father yourself, you don't have an actual relationship because you don't go and find your own wilderness to connect with him. I want to talk about finding your spiritual wilderness this morning. Will you pray with me? God, uh, I thank you for every uh, person that came into this space on a beautiful, beautiful May morning. All these people came out to a 9 a.m. service to worship you. And we've come in here with different backgrounds, struggling with different things, different temptations that the devil uses to, to draw us away from you, different distractions. And we want to pause we want to declare this morning, this space is our wilderness where we're going to connect with you. We've set this time aside. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us, transform our way of thinking, and help us draw near to you. We pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's family said, amen. Amen. See, wouldn't it be cool in life if you got to the point that you didn't even need a timeout? Like, wouldn't it be amazing if, if you got to the place where you were, you ever watched like a good sports team before? And, and when things get hard, the coach doesn't have to call a timeout because they've developed the habits that enable them to actually address the problem or the opponent in front of them. I mentioned the NBA finals. One of the fun things to watch in the, uh, the, uh, the playoffs this year has been the Miami Heat. That Miami Heat were like a seventh or eighth seed. They had no uh, right to even be where they're at. And now they're up 2-0 on the Celtics and beat them twice on their home court. And in fact, in the fourth quarter, the Heat were down in game two. And uh, Grant Williams from the Celtics hit a big bucket. He got really excited and he said something to uh, Jimmy Butler, also known as Jimmy Buckets. And what happened next, coach didn't have to call a timeout. Jimmy didn't have to do anything. He just responded because who he was is someone who, when he's challenged, he's going to respond. And he went off and scored nine straight points, and he brought the heat back, and they ended up winning the second playoff game. And what I want to tell you, spiritually speaking, who cares about sports this morning? Spiritually speaking, what I want to share with you is this, that when you get to the place that you develop a habit where you've already getting your soul restored, when the enemy shows up, even if the wilderness moment is unplanned, God is going to give you the power and the authority to respond to what the devil is bringing to you. So the most important thing is that, what do they always say? You don't win championships in the playoffs, you win it in the offseason. 
that some of us this morning, if we really want to see victory in the areas we're struggling in, we got to start developing spiritual habits to connect with the, the power and the might of the authority of our heavenly father who doesn't see the devil's tactics as anything he can't overcome. Am I preaching too early? Because I'll tell you, I'm a, I'm a little fired up about this this morning because you can go to church for years and never have a relationship with your heavenly father. You can attend services like this and try and be, behave better in your life, but if you don't have the power and the authority of the spirit of God that says it doesn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline, you'll never have the love and self-discipline to address the issues that you're facing in your life. What you need is not just a habit change. You need spiritual habits that connect you with the power of our heavenly father. And that's what Jesus had when he escaped to the wilderness. So if you're taking notes this morning, big idea, you're going to find your wilderness this morning, your place to connect with the Lord. Number one, first thing you're going to do to find your spiritual wilderness is to, this makes sense, get away, <laughs> get away. You're like, I'm looking forward to a vacation. You, play, you paying for this, right? The, now, I think sometimes we think that if we take a vacation and we pay lots of money that we're going to restore our soul. That may or may not happen. If we don't actually encounter God and prioritize getting away with him, we won't see it. This is why Jesus and the early disciples often practice this. Even John the Baptist, look at Mark chapter 1, verse 4, right before Jesus' baptism. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness. <laughs> if he's trying to reach all these people to tell them to be baptized and forgiven for their sins... Why is he out in the desert? Because he knows the priority is he's got to stay connected to his heavenly father or all of it's meaningless. That some of us this morning, we need to get away and reconnect with God. Jesus was constantly getting away as if getting away was what enabled him to actually connect with his heavenly father to help him address the issues in his life. In fact, in Mark uh, 1.13 that I read earlier, I don't think he's just trying to get away in that passage, right? Because he, he knows he's going to be tempted by the devil. But because he's developed the habit of getting away, when in Mark 1.13 he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he's got animals and angels there with him, he knows that he's going to be able to res resist and stand the test of time because he's prepared in the off-season. Some of us need to develop the habits of spiritually getting away. We must learn how to escape and restore our souls. Now, let's simplify this. It could be as easy as getting away from some of the distractions in your life. Why did Jesus and John the Baptist go outside the city to the wilderness, to these lonely places? Does anyone want anything to distract them? Right now, it's hard to even sit through a service without being distracted, right? Because at any moment, you could receive a text message that was very important. And your Instagram account could suddenly get a little red dot on it that tells you that you have a message and you have to check it right now or your life is going to fall apart. That, that whether we're at home and there's television and Netflix, you know, when I was growing up as a kid, I couldn't wait for Friday night when the Disney would have a movie that would come out that I could watch, and I'd watch Old Yeller with my family. Now you can watch every movie known to humankind at any moment. We have so many opportunities for distraction. 
And we got to get away from the things that are preventing it. Can I be, can just confess, this is embarrassing, I'm going to say it. My kids, uh, as they grow up, uh, they, you know, I've got a, a teenager and he would get into like certain games or apps on the iPad or a phone or something. And then here's what would happen. I would be annoyed that they're playing this game. And I'd be like, okay, as a dad, maybe I'll connect with them. I'd start playing the game. He would grow up, move on to a game that an older student would, and I would still be playing the same game that he had gotten me hooked on. And I literally, this morning, I got up. I'm about to preach on this. And, and I'm, I'm praying before <laughs> this morning at my house and as, as I'm praying and I get done and I'm, I wanted to read scripture, instead of clicking the Bible app on my phone, I clicked this kid's game app on my phone instead. And I was like, this is exactly the problem. And so I had to go on there. I deleted that thing. It's no longer on my phone today. Praise God. You know, like we got to start admitting what's distracting us and keeping us from getting away and connecting with the Lord. And we need to get away from that. You know, I... Uh, I'll never forget this. A few years ago, Lisa and I were out walking and we walked by uh, one of the Patichu uh, restaurants and I saw this couple sitting outside that were clearly there on like a, a date or a chance to hang out as a married couple. And both people were looking opposite directions on their phones for pretty much the entire meal. And, and I just summarizes to me how most of us live. We are distracted from God. We're distracted in our marriages. We're distracted with our kids and in our parenting style. Students, we're distracted from what the Lord is doing and how we could develop real meaningful friendships because we got things in our face all the time. And we can't get away from it. If you want to restore your soul, you have to eliminate some of those distractions, whether it's apps or television, or maybe it's things that just pop up on your calendar that you fill it up with so many activities. You never find yourself prioritizing spending time with God. For some of us, it's even work that we just need to get away from work. I heard a pastor recently uh, talk about he was... Uh, planning this big retreat with the staff of their church of what they were going to do and accomplish. And he got really excited and he came back and realized he planned and prayed and thought way more about work than he did about how he was raising his own children. And so instead he started doing uh, retreats and man, I, I just was heard this just recently and it has really convicted me. I don't know in your life what it is that is distracting you that you need to get away from, but Jesus and the early disciples often chose to go out into the wilderness. Little side note uh, for me, uh, I actually grew up as like, I was a, a, um, essentially a communication or theater major in college. And my favorite playwright was this guy named Sam Shepard. And he wrote a play called True West. Most of you have probably never heard of it, but lots of celebrities have played roles in True West. And in that and in other plays that he wrote, they're often going out into the desert to get away from life because they've gotten so overwhelmed and distracted. Do you know that Sam Shepard stole that idea from Jesus? That if you don't get away sometimes to connect with him in the wilderness, you will miss out on the power and the authority of what God is trying to do in your life. Number two, if you're taking notes, if you want to find your wilderness, don't just get away. Then you actually have to humble yourself before your heavenly father. James writes this, 
So think about it just for a second. Jesus, he got away, and it's only because of the humility and prayer and fasting, and he responds with scripture rather than his own ego that he was able to address the things that the devil was tempting him with. And James chapter four, verse four, it says, man, I think this is a message for us today. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. If you live for the world and all it is is what you're going to achieve in this lifetime and you're never actually communing with your heavenly father, you're missing out on what he desires. Verse five, or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? He longs for you, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. In the wilderness, what happened after Jesus resisted the devil those three times? Satan left. He fled. He had nothing to do because he was met with the power of God, with that authority. That is why it says to be humble, submit ourselves and resist the devil. Verse 8, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. It's, he's the one that does the heavy lifting. What we do is in humility respond. Here's what I see happen. Sometimes the enemy shows up and brings real temptation into our life. And maybe we try and resist it with our own willpower, Maybe it's a financial issue in our life and we go out and get a second or third job. Not a bad thing. Those are good things, right? Uh, maybe because you're working hard. Maybe for others of you, you you're, having, you're struggling in a friendship or relationships. So you just end that relationship. Or maybe in the dating world, you move from relationship to relationship or even in our marriages. And here's my question. In all of those moves, do we stop? Is the first thing we do to stop and to commune with our Heavenly Father, pray, and to ask His desires for us. Because if it's not, we're missing out on His discernment, His wisdom, His power to address each temptation the enemy may come. And sometimes we don't even recognize a temptation, right? In fact, uh, the Apostle Peter, in one of his letters, he he writes that uh, Satan comes like a roaring lion. And I find that often when the enemy shows up, that roaring lion starts like a little baby lion cub. You know, like little baby Simba, he's so cute. You just wanna like, you know, pet him and welcome him and he comes in. That's why it's so attractive because it doesn't seem that bad. It's not gonna cause any big problems in my life. And the next thing you know, this thing that was so cute is causing major problems as it grows up in your life and develops. And if we don't have the humility to admit and repent of our sin and turn to our Heavenly Father and ask for help, we're going to miss out on how to address and actually fix the problems that we're facing. So it means that we have to learn to commune with God. What was Jesus doing in the wilderness? He's going to pray and fast. Every time he went away, he would learn to pray and fast and commune with his Heavenly Father. I heard uh, this other pastor recently. He's a pastor in Sierra Leone in Africa. His first name is Shadonke. And he was talking about how with their team that's doing ministry there, 
that when they, they get up in the morning and they do some devotion time and they get away to connect with the Lord, and then when they get to work, they spend from 8 to 8.30 a.m. praying together as a team. And then they, at noon, will stop for lunch and pray together for another half an hour as a team. And then at the end of the day, from 4.30 to 5, they would pray together for another half an hour as a team. Have you ever prayed for longer than 10 minutes before? Like, when I do it, it's hard for me to stay awake. And I was doing it with my discipleship huddle this week and realizing, like, man, but when you kind of push through and really connect with God is really when you start hearing from him in your own life. That same pastor, Shadonki, he, he also described that they would fast it, uh, one day a week as an entry-level prayer and fasting moment for uh, half of the day, just until noon that morning, just from breakfast, so that if you've never done it before, here's an easy way to practice in fact, uh, Pastor Invita Elder, our pastor of prayer and fasting, has a, a prayer uh, text thread that she sends out prayers uh, on Monday or Tuesday so that we can fast from Wednesday morning for, until noon, so fast from breakfast, simple entry level, and to pray about things as a community. So if you have never tried it before, it's not that hard to fast from one breakfast. You just have a big lunch. In fact... Uh, if, if, if you want to try that out, you can sign up this morning. Just text PRAYER to 317-526-4520. Leave that up there for just a moment. If you want to take a picture or do whatever, send a text to that and write PRAYER, and you will get on that entry-level prayer and fasting thing in our church. Shadanke also talked about that there would be different times that they would fast for longer, and they would do extra fasting at the end of the year. They would end the year with three straight days of no food. And some of you are like, that's not humanly possible. Jesus did it for 40 days. And they actually say that you can go without food. It's without water that you couldn't do that. And here's the weird thing. Uh, physiologically speaking, scientists are now saying some regular fasting habits are actually healthy for us to cleanse our bodies in the process. See, the reason I share all of that is important because it's where the power comes is we humble ourselves, we pray, we fast, we get rid of the distractions, and we get away that we actually begin to encounter our Heavenly Father where He fills us up. There's something really neat happening in the life of our church right now that you probably haven't seen. In fact, if you're at this service, you miss that at the other two services, we often run out of chairs completely. And God is up to something unique, and we've been trying to figure out how to expand the space, and we haven't figured it out yet. We need your prayers. Please pray with us on that, because we want to reach more people for Christ. One of the ways that we're doing that right now is through uh, Mercy Road Espanol. That's Spanish in Spanish, in case you didn't know that. And it, it, uh, our Hispanic service has been meeting in uh, room seven in the back, at 1.30 on the Sunday afternoons. And we're really excited to announce and share with you that beginning in August, I believe it's the second Sunday in August, we're gonna move that service into this main auditorium at 1.30 in the afternoon. And it's gonna become a fourth worship service of our church. You're gonna see it everywhere online on our website and other places that we would have any other service. And we're asking you to pray for that. And the, because of that, man, Harrison, uh, who, who leads that ministry, is just a, a man of prayer as well. And you're seeing the power and might of God happen in this smaller community that they've been reaching new people for Christ and baptizing. We're gonna baptize five more uh, from that community just this this morning, and I believe God is up to something special because when we get to heaven one day, it's going to be every nation, right? Every language. 
is there's going to be no like American section of heaven. And so we're going to actually live that out here on earth. Third and final point, if you're taking notes, because Jesus said in this world, we will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. The way we ultimately resist is because of Jesus' power and authority. The third and final point is then to find rest in Christ. We can get away. We can take a vacation. I encourage you to do that this summer. But when you do that, actually find rest in Christ. Jesus said these words in Matthew 11. Verse 28, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Anybody feeling that this morning? He says, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here's some ways that you can find rest in Christ. Number one, you could block off five to 10 minutes a day. These are simple entry level things. Five to 10 minutes a day to read scripture and prayer. You can practice SOAP, where you read scripture. That's the S. You observe the O. You observe, what did that mean? Because <laughs> most of the time we read like a few verses, we like, I don't even know what that means. Like figure out what did it mean in its context. And then the A is apply. You apply it to your life. And then you just spend a moment praying about it to God. It's amazing how spiritual growth can can happen, other ways to rest. And we'll be talking about this next week to take a Sabbath every week, to dedicate one day a week just to get away and connect with the Lord. Number three, make time for worship, fasting, and other spiritual disciplines. Part of why we come to church together is to practice some of these in community. But maybe for some of you this morning, you just need to make some time to get away, to connect in scripture. And then you need to start worshiping and fasting. And maybe you put worship music on when you're in the car, or maybe you do the fast from a breakfast on Wednesday with us, or maybe you do longer fasts for a whole day or, or for longer just to connect with the Lord. If we plan for rest with Christ, we'll be prepared when the unplanned wilderness event with the enemy occurs. When the devil showed up in the wilderness, Jesus didn't have to panic. He wasn't worried because he'd been practicing for that moment. He didn't have to go get another timeout because he was in the habit of taking regular moments to spiritually rejuvenate himself with his heavenly father so that he was ready to address what had occurred. Because there's only one restorer. If we're going to find rest in Christ, there's only one restorer. The psalmist in Psalm 23, 3 says, He, God, restores my soul. You can take all the vacations you, you want or need. You can get away on the weekends and do whatever you want. But if you don't go to the one who can restore your soul and commune with him to find your wilderness, to be encountered by the living God, you are missing out on his desires for your life. You're gonna miss out on what he's calling you to. Championships are won in the off season to begin to pray and to fast and to rest in Christ. That's our goal. The problem with this generation though is we're so distracted by all the different things that we got going on in the world. We need to put the phone down. We need to take a pause on work for a moment, stop responding to emails, and we need to dedicate time to get away and to connect with the Lord. It's that simple. And if you do that, I guarantee that habit over time, because you've done it before and maybe you didn't have this great moment with God, but if you develop the habit over time, you'll begin to witness and experience and see how he begins to change your life and the way that you perceive things. Even Jesus had to get away sometimes in order to encounter the love of his daddy, his Abba, his father.
And so I just want to pause as we close out this time together. And if you're here this morning and you've known about God your whole life, but you need a restoration of your soul because you don't talk to him and you don't really have a relationship with him, I want to invite you to take this seriously. A small degree could change over time the whole course of our lives. And I can tell you with absolute certainty that this works. I look back when we lost a kid, and I'll tell you, I I would never have been prepared for that. There was no way I could prepare in a moment for something like that. And the only thing, I, I can't speak for my wife, but I can speak for myself. The only thing that got me through that time, I had already developed the habits of turning to God of every other thing in my life when the enemy shows up and encountering God and praying and saying, God, I need you. And fasting through that experience, I actually ended up growing closer to Christ rather than further away. And so I want to invite you this morning to take this seriously. If there's unhealth and dysfunction in your life, to take a time out and say, God, I want to encounter more of you. Will you pray with me? God, for those in the room right now, that maybe they've, they've known about you for a while, but they're spiritually dry. They haven't gotten away in a while to connect with you. If that's you in the room, I want you to do this with me. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. It just means we do a 180 from the way that we've been living to no longer live in that dysfunction. I want you to repent with me for being so distracted that we're not doing life with God. If that's you, pray this with me. God, this morning, I confess that I haven't gotten away with you lately. I repent of that. Thank you for your forgiveness and your grace. I welcome it. Take this, this shame from me and, and God, use my restored soul for your kingdom purposes. And then there may be somebody in the room right now who you've known about God, but you don't actually have a relationship with your heavenly father. Because Jesus was crucified and resurrected from the grave, you now share in his son or daughtership that you can be a child of God and have a heavenly father that you could have communion with, that you could rest in and be restored by. And so if you'd like to surrender your life over the lordship of Jesus, pray this with me. Right now, God, I confess that I need you. I want a relationship with you, Father. And so on this morning, I surrender everything in my life to you as Lord. Use me and help me to hear from you. We love you, Jesus, and we give you this time. We pray this in your name and all God's family said, amen.